0: Cam Newton is back The Lions finally didn't lose And the top five NFL players to show up on the big screen Welcome to Saturday
1: Morning Inspection
0: Welcome to Saturday Morning Inspection. I'm Nick Rudman, joined as always by the man with hair who would make the Fons jealous, Andrew Mize. We are not your typical big sports media show. We don't have the hot takes and the big budgets and the fancy suits, but we got to make up for it by working ridiculously hard, doing our research, and being ridiculously good looking.
1: That's right, Nick. And because we are not backed by big sports media, we need your help. You, the listener, whether you're listening on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, whatever your listening pleasure may be, if you could just give us a like, a comment, maybe subscribe to our YouTube channel, we greatly appreciate it. And it helps us out a ton. Uh, To search for us on those platforms, we're at Saturday Morning Inspection on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. On Twitter and Facebook, we're SMI Football Show. And as always, you can go to our website, smishow.com dot com to find out anything about the show uh nick i think we have a excellent show today uh let's get straight on into it our first story today is the patriots are humming and i'm actually quite upset I, let's let's hear your thoughts on it and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on it afterwards but this is this is scary
0: yeah. So you and I you know, both grew up in the early 2000s and the last 20 years. What have we all lived through? The Patriots every year being really good, really competitive. They're going to make a deep playoff run. They're going to show up in big games. And look, I'm a big fan of Belichick. I was a big fan of Brady in a lot of ways, too. You know, it's, it's hard not to be with how well they're playing if you're just a fan of football. But finally, after last year, we all kind of, you know, breathe a sigh of relief. The Patriots, they're not going to be any good anymore. Going to fall back into mediocrity. No longer going to have to deal with New England. It's somebody else's time. Well, after smacking down the Cleveland Browns 45 to seven, I think we have to say it now. The Patriots are back.
1: Yeah. And I don't even think we can say back because they didn't really ever leave like a one year absence. And they were like still not too bad that year. But, uh, Mac Jones looks incredible. Uh, everyone everyone is now, of course, saying, oh, yeah, we all knew he was special. Yeah, I can't believe he went as low as he did. But, yeah, right. Uh, people are like, oh, he should have been number three right after Zach Wilson. Okay. Okay. Well, why didn't you pick him there? Okay. Everyone doubted him. Bill Saul, whatever he sees in young, white, seemingly unath- unathletic quarterbacks, takes him into New England, develops him into a monster, puts him in the best system possible for his skills. That's what they do in New England is highlight your skills and don't let your weaknesses get exploited. And that yeah. is what they did this week against the Browns, a team that just constantly, no matter how many strengths they have, keeps letting their weaknesses get exploited. And that big weakness this weekend was Baker Mayfield.
0: Yeah, it absolutely was. The highlight, That one of the differences between Mac Jones, and I think why Belichick and that team up in Foxborough drafted him in the middle of the first round and why obviously they're very excited that they have him now is if we compare him with Baker Mayfield. And there was a moment in the game that really jumped out at me. So New England had a 24-7 to halftime lead, and they're getting the ball to start the third quarter. It feels it's all New England. Cleveland really doesn't have a shot at this point. But the uh, Cleveland defense does its job. They force a quick three and out. That talented Cleveland defense gets the Patriots off the field. The Browns get the football back with decent field position. Look, it's already a few minutes into the third quarter. You're down three scores. You know, you're maybe only going to have six possessions or so left in the game. You got to have a little bit of urgency. You don't have to go no huddle, but you have to have some urgency and have to score with some, you know, some relative speed. What did they do? They hand the ball off to Nick Chubb on first down. OK, not, not a bad decision. You know, Nick Chubb's a good player, but all right, only gets three yards. So maybe maybe go somewhere else. Take a shot downfield, get Baker Mayfield a chance on second down. They run the ball again, get three more yards. I was surprised. Right. You're down three scores on the road. you got to make plays down the field. I'm like, OK, they're setting something up. They're setting something up. It's, you know, Stefanski, the head coach at Cleveland. He's setting it up to make uh, make Baker make a big throw down the field to get them back in this game. Third down, they run the ball again, don't get the first down, and punt. And that was essentially, for all intents and purposes, the end of the game. There is just no trust in Baker Mayfield and Cleveland right now. The Patriots trust Mac, and we've seen it the last few weeks. They trust him the, uh, at the end of games. They trust him at the end of two minute. They trust him in the first, second, third, and fourth quarter. They put the ball in his hands because they trust him to do well with it. The Cleveland Browns and Stefanski, after four years with Baker Mayfield, four years pro Baker Mayfield, they don't trust him. It's plain and simple.
1: I think we've all seen these great, and I'm going to say they are great, at home with Baker Mayfield commercials. Uh, We see the one where Baker pulls out the ring of keys and hands it to the young kid who's going to house sit for him over the weekend or wherever he's going. Uh, I think that's all part of the plan because the Browns organization is planning on keeping those keys and never giving them back to Baker because he's proven he's not worthy of being uh, the head of house of that stadium anymore, of that franchise anymore. Uh, they've completely lost confidence of him. They're changing the locks. They're going to kick him out. Uh, this is my prediction. I don't think they pick up the fifth year of his contract. Uh, I don't think he gets a new contract. Uh, I think they move on and, you know, they, they got to try to figure out what the problem is. I know what it is. They just suck as an organization. But uh, they got to they gotta look inward and figure that out themselves.
0: Yeah, so it's, it's very interesting because I think a name that's been floating around in the offseason, right, is is Aaron Rodgers. And if you look at a team that's built to win now with the talent they have, you know, good running game, solid receivers, good defense with talent, you know, uh, uh, good special teams, good coach. Rodgers could come in and fit, fit in really well and do extremely well with Cleveland. Now, I don't know if Aaron goes to Cleveland. I'm not saying he will or won't. But if you look at those the way Cleveland plays and you look at their, their roster, they should be a lot better than they are now, especially since they're relatively healthy. Yeah. And even in the positions where they're hurt, they've got great backups. You know, they have some issues at running back. Well, they have three really good running backs with Chubb, Johnson, and Hunt. I mean, they get they got rid of Beckham, but they still have Peoples Jones and they still have Landry, two good tight ends and Hooper and Njoku. This team should be just going up and down the field and beating everybody. But Baker's holding them back and it's becoming more and more obvious. You know, if this was uh, any other quarterback that for whatever reason, people just have a liking to Baker Mayfield, maybe it's because he was a walk on, maybe he's a smallish guy. But if this was Daniel Jones or any other young quarterback, Sam Darnold, they would be all down his throat. You know, the organization, the NFL, everyone in the media. I don't know why they're not with Baker. Maybe they'll get there eventually. But I think he's really hurting that organization and holding that team back. Do you, uh, who do you think? Do you think they, they make a move for Rodgers in the offseason or do you think they go draft to replace Baker?
1: Uh, I think they make a move. I don't think he goes there, though. And, and you brought it up a second ago. I think, uh, the only thing the Browns are missing, maybe another superstar receiver like Odo Beckham, that could maybe help them. But yeah, I, I think they, you know, from what I've seen coming out of college, there aren't too many highly touted quarterback prospects coming out this coming year. Uh, but I think they, Depending on where they land though, picks wise, you know what I mean? And depending on how how everything shakes out, uh it so in my opinion, thinking about it, Detroit is probably gonna try for a quarterback this year. I have to. Um Jets probably not.
0: No, got Wilson. Um, I
1: stick with Jags aren't. Uh I can't think any too too many more bottom of the barrel teams. Got to go.
0: Houston's going quarterback, right? Houston, yeah,
1: Houston's I mean. got to go quarterback. God, well, do they have picks?
0: No. Oh my gosh, they're so.
1: Yeah, I don't think they have the pick to go quarterback. That's so
0: that's so bad on Houston. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. They don't even have. They made all the so many bad roster moves. They stink, and they don't have picks. They're the anti-Rams. Unbelievable. Oh.
1: Yeah, the only thing I could think is like. Houston, if they were able to have, like, a superstar wide receiver, they could have traded for a first-rounder. Uh, that would have been the play for them, but they'd have never be able to do something like that with someone like DeAndre Hopkins. I couldn't see it happen. Um, but anyways, yeah, so uh, I I don't think the Browns draft high enough to go quarterback this year, so I think they make a free agency play. Uh, I don't think they get Rodgers because I don't think he goes there. And I think they like maybe flounder for a year or two until they can get a good enough draft position.
0: you got to feel for the Cleveland fans because they go for 10, 15 years with having a terrible roster, terrible coach, and they get enough good players. Finally, you know, they got Garrett, they got the guys on offense. We already talked about where they're actually a respectable team roster wise, solid coach. I think Stefanski's good, not great, but he's a solid coach and they still can't come over the top and make, make a deep move and take advantage of a division that's that should be very winnable, or at least an AFC that's really bunched up and not very competitive. you got to feel for those fans.
1: Yeah, they they were just a couple years removed of taking the paper bags off of the heads in the stadium, but they might be coming back on sooner than we think. Uh, these Browns yeah. guys, they're not looking too hot, and like we said, they've got a lot of stuff going coming down the pipe. They have a lot of great pa- players. That they're going to have to— Win now or start making some roster moves. There's a lot of contracts you're going to have to sign. Uh, oh, yeah. But speaking of, again, a pretty ugly game, uh, let's touch on the uh, former heir of the New England franchise, Tom Brady.
0: Yeah, rough performance through two picks and an upset against the Washington, art- artists formerly known as the Redskins. Very, very... Uh, Poor performance by Brady, scored 19 points against the defense that lost a superstar defensive end Chase Young for the season during that game. Big heartbreak for Young in that defense. He's a great young player, a lot of energy, so sad to see him get hurt. But just a bad loss for Tampa, their second straight loss in a row. Should there be some concern in Tampa? And is Brady finally catching up to Father Time, or Father Time finally catching up to Tom Brady, I should say?
1: Uh, yeah, I think – well, coming off a bye too so there's really like no reason he should be like completely rested up so to speak but uh I don't as far as everything else goes i I seen I've saw Arian's response you know publicly calling out Brady again and and I read about it a little bit and some some people or pundits come out and say you know last year Arians called out Brady and that's not so much so to call out Brady as it is to Brady's the head of that organization uh, especially team wise and if Arians is calling out him that means he's calling out everybody below him as well so everyone's like hey uh, they're calling out the boss man we all need to be on notice everyone's got to play better so maybe hopefully that they bounce back they're too talented they're too good and I don't trust that uh, they're just too dangerous for me. Like, I can't trust that Tom Brady and that cast of, that cast of players is just going to dive off the face of Cliff and not make the playoffs or something like that. So we'll just see what happens. I, I think they bounce back in some regards, but what a hit. Like you said, what a hit for Washington, a team that's getting some momentum. They're not, like, going to make a playoff run or anything like that, but they're just... You know, that's a team that's in the the market for another quarterback, potentially. But they're just making moves, like, doing all these things. They're playing their hearts out. They're getting a couple good wins here and there. Then their best player, like Chase Young, goes out, torn ACL, rest of the season. And like we said earlier in the week, Ohio State DNs and torn ACLs, name a more iconic deal. I can't imagine, you know, Bosa's young everyone's everyone's ACLs are not safe. I don't know what they put in the water at Ohio State, but I don't want any of that.
0: Yeah, it's it's a tough break and you know Chase Young is one of those guys. He's a pillar defensively and a pillar for your team because he brings that energy and that work ethic and and that uh intensity week in and week out, that competitive desire that you know a lot of good teams have that guy that's not the quarterback to kind of carry the mantle, right? Baltimore had Ray Lewis for a long time. You know, the Patriots had a number of those guys, you know, in the old old days with like Rodney Harrison. Uh, you know, you can you can find a lot of these teams even uh even the Patriots who won the Super Bowl last year, they had those guys up front with Endomicon Sue and Jason Pierre-Paul. You know, as as a team, the quarterback sets the tone, but you kind of need another guy because the quarterback has like a really easy day at practice. You know, he kind of just stands there and throws passes and does footwork and stuff, but he never really hits anybody or nobody really uh, hits him. Doesn't really have to run around a whole lot. It, it, it's not, he's not quite kicker easy, but it gets pretty close. So you kind of need that guy in the trenches, the kind of physical guy who, who puts up with the grind every day to kind of come out and have lots of energy and be a leader and motivate people. And Chase Young was that guy for Washington. And it's just a shame to see him get hurt in a very promising career, just a second year in the league. I, I hope he comes back strong, uh, even though he plays for the hated, hated Washington football team. But just just a disappointing, disappointing turn of uh, events for him and, and that organization.
1: Absolutely, I agree, 100 uh, percent. But as one door shuts, another one opens. as one player leaves a team, another has returned. Cam Newton is back. He is back, and Carolina seems to got a little bit more energy now. Oh, what do you, what are you thoughts? Uh, I think his first two plays from scrimmage were touchdowns. I guess they, they've got some life now. How do you view the Carolina Panthers now that Cam Newton is back?
0: So first I want to hit on the bummer person to be of the week. And that's PJ Walker. He actually started at quarterback for Carolina. We have talked about Walker a little bit in some earlier episodes, but this is a guy who played in the XFL NFL didn't want him. He does really well in the XFL, you know, gets noticed, gets on an NFL roster. He's backing up Darnold, no real chance to play. Darnold gets hurt. He gets some playing time. You know, Darnold's not going to come back. They bring in Newton. He's obviously not ready to start. So this is PJ Walker's time to shine against the mighty Arizona Cardinals in Arizona. You know, this is his moment, his time to be an NFL star. Cooper Rush had his a few weeks ago. This was going to be his Cooper Rush moment. And what happens Cam Newton scores two touchdowns. No one's even talking about P.J. Walker, who played pretty well. Got to feel bad for the guy. Just a tough break. But when it comes to Newton, so the the thing with uh, Cam Newton, and I'm going to go on a little bit of a deal here. Cam Newton and Carolina, they kind of remind me of a couple that broke up. Right? They had a long relationship together with a lot of happiness, a lot of good things. And then it got kind of rough there at the end, and, and things weren't going great, so they just separated. It was good for everybody to separate. But both of them, you know, they gotten used to relationship, but then they were on their own. They were trying different people. Carolina, they dated Teddy Bridgewater, but he was a little too safe. He was like the safe, safe person you date. Then they went to Sam Darnold, who was kind of the fixer upper. It didn't work out with Sam Darnold either. So, so Carolina's kind of now the ex who's like, oh, I just, I've tried the, I've tried the dating game. It didn't really work out. Oh, when was the last time I felt happy? Oh yeah. Six years ago with, with Cam. Let me let me go. Let me give Cam a call. It's one a.m. Let me see what Cam's up to. Hey, baby, up? It's it's me, Carolina. Exactly, exactly. And it, it people and they forget like any of these couples that we see, they get back together after they have broken up. They seem to forget how bad it was at the end. Right. And, and these and first Car- like
1: this first game back, there that honeymoon phase is back, like you're saying, but it doesn't last long.
0: No, it, it, it doesn't. I mean, he's going to, I guess he's a, right now, he's, he's a slated to start this weekend. And, you know, I, I, I hope he does well. You know, he's certainly still physically talented. But the last two years he had in Carolina, he was banged up. He was hurt. He couldn't throw the ball, couldn't complete passes very well. That offense was terrible. And he was the main reason why, you know, he didn't look great with New England last year either. He was, he was pretty bad with the Patriots. And we see what Mac Jones has done with the Patriots this year. I, I think it just reminds me of a of a breakup. They get back together. They're in the honeymoon phase. Everyone's excited. Social media, you know, all across, high fiving, hugging. They they're back together. The the Rachel and Ross are finally back together. It, it's going to end ugly. I think pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, I I definitely agree. Uh, but one pivot I want to make on this topic here is about the Arizona Cardinals, who are dealing with some injury issues. But a trend I've been seeing lately is teams have been getting really hot and doing really well, and then all of a sudden, a seemingly not good team like Carolina, like the Jets, like the Jags, like all of these teams, the Dolphins, Baltimore, Dallas, Buffalo, Arizona, these teams that have been on fire are getting tripped up by these seemingly not good teams. What is up with that? What are your thoughts on that? Because that's crazy to me.
0: Well, and it's not just getting tripped up it's getting beaten beaten bad carolina killed arizona denver killed dallas miami handled baltimore pretty well uh thursday night it's strange i think it tells you one how competitive the nfl is Uh, you you know even if you're a really good team and you're playing a team that's really bad the, the level of talent is still relatively close and it tells you how a couple turnovers or maybe a good game plan can switch it one way or the other but I think it also tells you the fact that right now in the NFL, there are no elite teams. There's no team or two. Usually there's one or two where you're like, this is the best. This is the cream of the crop. This is, you know, this team, the NFC, this team, the AFC, they're heading for a showdown. There is none of that this year. It's a muddled mess. There's a lot of teams that are five and five, six and four, six and three that are probably feeling pretty good about themselves right now. And there's a lot of teams that are eight and two or, or seven and two. That that really don't look that good. And, and I think it's just going to be a mad smoosh at the end as everybody tries to get in the playoffs. And who knows what's going to happen. It is going to be a wild ride the rest of the year, and definitely in the playoffs.
1: And for me and my team personally, I don't like it as much. But as a uh being like on a casual fan level of the NFL, I kind of like it. It's pretty cool to not know who's going to be in the playoffs this year. There's no clear anybody, it seems, could make a run to the Super Bowl. And we really haven't had this in such a long time. Uh it it's literally both divisions are up for grabs. Division uh division uh subsets, you know, the east, west, north, south of each division is up for grabs. Any there's no clear cuts in any division, like you said.
0: Yeah. And I think it kind of speaks to why a lot of teams are kind of maybe shifting all in a little bit because they feel like it's open and they feel like, you know, now's their time to take advantage because there's no clear cut elite contender. So that's why you see teams like the Cardinals and the Rams, you know, making big moves, trying to trying to push themselves over the edge. I, I, I think it's a I think it's going to be wild. I think it's going to be a, a great finish to the year. I think it's going to come down to, you know, we've hit on this a bunch coach and quarterback what coach and what quarterback can manage the game and make enough big plays and big decisions to win in big moments. And uh, that's usually what it comes down to, and I think, uh, I think that's what's going to come down to again this year.
1: And as we've said, good teams losing to bad teams. Another trend is the week after they lose to a bad team, these good teams come back out, and they want to take it out on somebody. And this week, Dallas, Buffalo have bounced back in
0: a huge way. Yeah, so what we talk about a lot in our last week's shows, regression to the mean, right? What we saw with Dallas and Buffalo, Dallas losing to Denver, Buffalo losing to Jacksonville, is them playing their worst games of the year, playing extremely poorly, you know, but that's not them. So they say, okay, let's let's regress to the mean a little bit. Let's go back to what we normally are. Well, they play teams, Atlanta uh, coming off a win against the Saints, where, you know, in that game's case, where Atlanta was probably feeling really good, they just played their best game all season. So Atlanta regressed, you know, worse. Dallas regressed better. And, and, the, war, and the result was just an absolute blowout. Uh, the Jets stink who the Bills played. So there was no real regression to the mean because the mean for the Jets is really bad. Uh, the Jets have given up. I mean, you look at the Jets last four games, 54 points they gave up to the Patriots, uh, 31 points they gave up to the Bengals and a miracle win and they got bailed out by that helmet to helmet call. You know, they gave up uh, 42 to Indianapolis uh, ten, uh, a couple Thursdays ago, and they just gave up 45 to Buffalo. I thought Robert Sala, head coach of the Jets, was supposed to know defense. Evidently not. But uh, I, I digress. I think uh, I think we saw a lot more of what uh, Buffalo and Dallas are and what they're going to be the rest of the year. But it goes back to the point that they are very beatable, just like every team in the NFL, whether you're the top of the division or the bottom. You're, you know, every team has weaknesses, and it is wide open.
1: Well. In my case, I hope that Baltimore can bounce back the same way this coming week, Uh, and I expect them to. But uh, another team that's kind of been in a downward spiral, very, very, very rough patch, and I say this, and now I remember, both of these teams are actually in that situation, but I digress. Uh, The Chiefs in the Raiders game, the Chiefs have really bounced back in a big way, but it is against a Raiders team who is actually spiraling literally out of control Uh, I I don't know uh, what more could happen maybe the owner dies maybe like the stadium burns down like I I don't know what more uh, could could happen to them but the the Chiefs did bounce back in a big way they actually blew out the Raiders this week
0: yeah they they did and what Mahomes was able to do, and I, and I think a lot of that was probably game planning and coaching by uh, Andy Reid, the head coach, and Eric Bieniemy, who's the Chiefs offensive coordinator. He, they set up Mahomes to have a lot of success. And what they did is they say, look to Kelsey in the middle of the field and then hit the check down. You know, and then if you see some open opportunities deep, take them, but don't look for those first. So Mahomes had five touchdowns and 400 yards. He had a lot of bombs down the field. But he's still only averaged eight yards per passing attempt, which is still good. But normally, if you have a lot of deep passes, you get closer to nine, nine and a half. What does that mean? It means the Chiefs emphasize checkdowns. So as much as Mahomes got big touchdowns on the highlights, he was hitting the checkdown. He was hitting the four, five, six yard dump off. You know, I think uh, running back Williams, Derek Williams for the Chiefs had 10 catches. You know, for example, that game, Kelsey was obviously very active. And, and sometimes football, it can be so easy, so simple. Teams are scared to cover those Chiefs receivers one-on-one deep, so they put safeties over the top. It leaves the middle of the field wide open. That's where Kelsey works. So Mahomes, you look for Kelsey. If he wins the matchup and he's open, perfect, hit him. If not, hit the check down. Just hit it and just do that. You can do that. You can live that five yards at a time, six yards at a time, and be extremely successful. I, I think the Chiefs are maybe starting to figure it out a little bit, uh, and and we're going to see when they play Dallas this weekend exactly what's going to happen there. That's going to be a, a, a shootout and a really, really uh, interesting game for both teams. But I think uh, if the Chiefs offensively and Mahomes can just stick with that game plan, look to uh, Kelsey in the middle of the field, and then hit the check down, they're going to be successful. Now the Raiders, I mean, you said it. What else could go wrong for this team?
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with you. Uh, one thing that you and I talked about during the game I think Travis Kelsey's is actually open on every single play. Like, I don't think there's a single play that he's actually not open. So that's, that's pretty good for Patrick. That'll, that'll help him. He has a great safety blanket, so he should never not be comfortable. Uh, and one thing I, I said last week is the loss of Henry Ruggs for the Raiders is so big because it takes away that Tyreek Hill deep threat, big, over-the-top play style which then allowed the Chiefs to kind of focus on Darren Waller so much more. You didn't really see him too much throughout the game. Uh, as bad as the Chiefs' defense was, they were able to cover him up some. I think Tyron Matthew was on him a lot, maybe. Uh, but that that loss of Henry Ruggs really, really hurt the the Raiders team in their offensive scheming, like how they want to play football, because they kind of want to play a little bit like the Chiefs they they're they're set up offensively to be pretty similar to the Chiefs. Uh and it just didn't work out for them. Uh I don't foresee them doing much better at all this season. They they've just lost so much, so so much. There's there's not too much you can do. But uh yeah, I think the Chiefs uh this is a good bounce back for them. I don't think they're back by any means. I think they have a lot to go. Uh let's see if they can beat up on an actually good team in Dallas, which spoiler alert, I don't think they can. But we will see. Uh, moving on, you know, the Raiders may have some hope if they turn to somebody like the Tennessee Titans, who have lost their best player, who have lost their offensive identity, but they just find a way to win.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. They are 3-0 and this season in games Derrick Henry didn't finish, and Derrick Henry is their finisher, so it's really bizarre. Honestly, I think it's a mirage. Right. Even they lost in New Orleans this past weekend. But I think New Orleans more lost the game than Tennessee won it. So uh, New Orleans outgained Tennessee by more than 100 yards. But Tennessee won like they did against the Rams last Monday night or last Sunday night uh, with turnovers and uh, avoiding dumb penalties. And that's great. You can win individual games like that in the NFL. In the long term, however, you need offensive weapons. and You need good quarterback play. Derrick Henry's hurt. That's their best offensive weapon. That may be the best offensive weapon in the NFL, so they don't have that. Julio Jones has been hurt. A.J. Brown's been a little banged up. And Ryan Tannehill, I love you, Ryan Tannehill. You are not carrying any team deep in the playoffs. I think the the Titans, the interesting thing for Tennessee is they actually have a pretty easy schedule the rest of the way. They got a terrible Houston team twice. They get the Jets. They have a few other tough games, but you're looking at a team that could, you know, if they just win four of their final seven games, they'll be 12 and five. And in, in an AFC that's really clumped together, they could be the number one overall seed in the AFC and maybe be the worst number one uh, overall seed in, in, in my recent memory. I, I can't imagine a team that has actually less offensive uh, playmaking ability but winning as many games as they are. I mean, Do you believe in this Tennessee team, or, or do you think they're just a, a mirage?
1: Uh, like we said, everything's so wide open. Do I believe in them to make the playoffs? Absolutely. Do I believe in them to win their division? Yeah. I could say that as well. Do I believe in them to make any real push in the playoffs once they really meet the creme de creme of teams in the AFC? Nah, I, I mean, they may, I don't even think they have one playoff win in them, but uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But no, I, I don't, like I said, it's kind of a mirage. Uh, They can get some, some flashy wins here and there, but it, this is not built for sustained success.
0: Can we talk about the coaching job Mike Rabel has done though? It- they're, they're the number one seed in the AFC right now, and they've had half the season without Derrick Henry. I mean, just unheard. I mean, no one even thought they'd be the number one overall seed, even with Derrick Henry. I thought I was, you know, at risk for looking like an idiot for picking them to be a Super Bowl team uh, before the season. And they still continue to win games even without Henry. I mean, that, that's a lot of credit to Rabel, right? And his staff.
1: Yeah, he's done a great job. Him and his staff have really put together a solid game plan. But defensively, they look amazing. Offensively, Mediocre, but that mediocrity has been able to carry through. So,
0: Just good enough, right? They just found a way to be just good enough offensively.
1: Exactly. Uh, but, you know, as one team has lost so much, like the Titans, other teams just keep gaining, yet they have put up two stinkers of a performance. And I'm talking, of course, about the Los Angeles Rams, the new acquisition of Odell Beckham Jr., his first debut game, man, uh, I I saw a joke tweet online said that OBJ has now requested a trade from the Rams. Um, God, it's been ugly these last two weeks for the Rams. Two bad
0: Matt Stafford
1: picks each game.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been bad. And I want to go a little bit into why the Rams are going all in. And I think it's not really the reason maybe some people think. We talked about the NFL being wide open, and maybe that's why the Rams are really committing. I don't think it is. I think there's only one person that's forcing the Rams to go all in, and that's Justin Herbert. I think the Rams are in a battle for Los Angeles right now. Both the Rams and the Chargers are relatively new to that area. They got a new stadium. Los Angeles is obviously a very competitive market. A lot of sports, a lot of things to do in LA. You know, you got the Dodgers always win. They got stars. The Angels, and Mike Trout. You have the Lakers, obviously, with LeBron. Uh, The Clippers have uh, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard for for you NBA guys out there. You know, there's a lot of competition for star power, and the Rams really don't have it. Stafford's a star, but he's been in Detroit so long, he's kind of like a feel-good story. He's not really like a superstar. Golf wasn't that way. Justin Herbert is a West coast guy. He went to Oregon, you know, he's got the big gun, the big arm, the long hair. I I think there's a chance that the Rams are really worried that Herbert and that chargers team led by young analytics driven coach, Brandon Staley kind of wins the city over. And the one way you can stop that from happening is by winning a championship and going all in hundred percent. I think that's exactly what the Rams are trying to do here. And like you talked about, they had back-to-back bad games. It's starting to backfire on them. And if they don't turn this around, they could lose this season and lose LA too. It's
1: like I said, the Von Miller curse. That's uh, it's it's happened.
0: Great um, analytics job by you, by the way, for for analyzing the the effect that Von Miller had on teams. I I, I doubted you. I got to admit, I thought that was nothing, but you uh,
1: it was a bit of a mirage. I thought the Von Miller curse actually affected the team that he left as well. But the Broncos just got, you know, a, a sneaky win. They did regress to the mean. So the Von Miller curse has either has a one game effect or no long-lasting effect on the team that he left.
0: The team he has come to. Let's keep an eye on this. Uh two in a row. Two in a row. And, and they've lost to teams that don't really I mean, obviously the Titans have a good record, but neither of the 49ers don't. They just lost to. But neither of those teams you look at as being big time contenders, right? It's not like they lost to uh You know, maybe Dallas and Baltimore back to back or Green Bay and uh, uh, Arizona back to back or something like that. You know, they kind of lost to to teams that no one's really worried about. They lost to Ryan Tannehill and Jimmy Garoppolo. Disappointing losses. It's disappointing. And double digit losses, too. This wasn't like a a close heartbreaker where, uh, you know, things just went the wrong way. It was both blowouts. There's, I'm concerned. if, if, If I'm a Rams fan today, I am really, really concerned because they are 100% all in like I don't think they have a draft pick until 2085. Yeah. Like it, it's this is a this is a concerning moment for the Rams organization and that team this season.
1: I completely agree. But uh nonetheless this wasn't the worst game of the weekend, Nick, and it was far from it. Um in a way, I would like to touch on this next game we have coming up, the Lions Steelers game. Uh <laughs> The ending of that game. Now, you have gone as far to say the entire game. But for me, at least, that was the worst overtime I have ever seen in my entire life. I can't, they both had so many opportunities to win the game. And it was blown offensive drive after blown offensive drive, missed field goals everything that you could possibly go wrong did go wrong like this was one of the worst games I have seen in a long time
0: oh you had penalties you had and it wasn't like it was bad things were just happening you know sometimes bad turnovers happen a defender makes a great one-handed interception a great strip sack a peanut punch you know, a 55 yard field goal doing off the upright, you know, those things happen. It was the worst turnovers and the worst plays imaginable. I, you had a uh, Detroit's kicker who lined up a 48 yarder for the win for the first win of the season. And I think the ball went 18 yards. I, I, I honestly think that the, the, uh, the fans in the stadium probably thought it was blocked how terrible that kick was, it was, it was about nine feet off the ground and went nowhere. It was nowhere. It was just an abomination. And then you had uh, Pittsburgh, who just fumbling the ball away every other, you know, all their possessions in overtime, the dumb penalties. It was just an ugly, ugly, ugly uh, game and an ugly overtime. I, you know, I don't know who feels worse right now, uh, the, the Steelers fans, the Detroit fans. Detroit's still winless technically, and, and Pittsburgh somehow blew that opportunity for an easy win. I don't know. This was just a game I think both teams want to forget.
1: Well, two things I'd like to point out is I heard a report that Laces were out. The Laces were out on that kick. So uh, before before the jury has rest, we need to just dive back in and make sure that was good. If the Laces were out, kicker, it wasn't the kicker's fault. So, but uh, nonetheless, he missed a few other kicks. Uh, and you brought up who feels worse. Well, the Lions have not won. But for the first week in this NFL season, they also have not lost. And I think you feel pretty good about that. Uh, I mean, what else can you feel? You know, you've lost all eight games so far this season. For the first time, you have not lost a game. I think that's cause to celebrate a little bit. Uh, The Steelers, I would be very worried if that was the performance we put up. I don't care if Ben was there or not. You're playing the Lions. By far the worst team in the league right now. Uh, Everything doesn't go their way, and in this game, still nothing went their way, yet you still couldn't beat them. So either Mason Rudolph is the worst backup in NFL history, and this team just doesn't have firepower to do anything, and your defense is terrible, or this is a comedy of errors by both teams, and it's really just unexplainable to me.
0: I think after last season and this season, I'm starting to get a greater appreciation for how good head coach Mike Tomlin is for the Steelers, right? The Steelers were the worst. I think they went 11 and 0 or 10 and 0 last year before they lost. Oh yeah. They were the worst undefeated team ever. They were barely winning all the games, getting lucky. You know, it's kind of the same thing this year. You know, they, they're one hit check away against Chicago by the ref for probably losing that game. They should have lost this game. Detroit just kept giving them every opportunity to win and Pittsburgh couldn't capitalize. You know, Cleveland choked against Pittsburgh. I, I think a lot of it has to be coaching just because I think Pittsburgh's bad. I, you know, you watch them play, and you're just like, oh. I mean, they no offensive real playmaking. Uh, defense is solid, I guess, but it's, it's nothing spectacular. Teams can certainly move the ball on them. I, I mean, Najee Harris is, is, is okay as a rookie, but, you know, they talk about how many receptions he has, you know, leading all NFL running backs in receptions, either first or second. But it's really only because they're just so bad at receiver that they Roethlisberger and company just has to check it down to him. I, I think Absolutely. the Steelers are are terrible, but Tomlin's got them winning games somehow. So I guess credit goes to him. Did okay. I remember this
1: in the back of my head. I unfortunately did not write it down. T.J. Watt was injured this game. Did he return mm-hmm. or is nope, he, he still
0: did. out? He did not return. Uh, they don't think the injury is severe, but you know you never really know how long he's going to be out. Uh, whether he's gonna play this weekend or miss a couple weeks. So we're gonna we're gonna have to wait for more information on that one. But he did not return uh, in this game.
1: Once again, big contracts have been doled out and the injury bug has arisen.
0: It, it, it's the Watt family. JJ was the same way. It just you know, they have these big seasons or big games and they get these big payouts. But what do they what do you say? The best ability is availability. And these guys, the Watt brothers, just get hurt all the time. You know, it's great that you have only sacks and forced fumbles, but if you only play 11 or 12 games a year, you know, you're not helping your team as much as a guy who can suit it for all 16, now 17 games.
1: Yeah. uh, Getting you to the playoffs is one thing, but being available for the playoffs is the important part. So uh, let's, let's wait until uh, TJ can do that. Uh, Touching on some other things briefly here. uh, Green Bay, Seattle, another ugly game, but Aaron Rodgers came back and he delivered and Russell Wilson came back. And last week we said, is Russell coming in a little bit too rushed? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. He was not ready.
0: So this game reminded me of the actor Steve Buscemi. So this Steve Buscemi is a really ugly dude. He's got the big old eyes. He's been in Armageddon, a bunch of other movies, but he's actually a good actor. That's what this game was like. It had, it had the talented quarterbacks and the good quarterbacks, you know, with the good resumes so you, so you watched it. You're sucked in to watch these guys, but it just was really ugly. It was not a well-performed game by either team. Green Bay pulled away late to win 17-0, to but there were a lot of turnovers, drop passes, penalties. It just was not a good game. Uh, Wilson did come back early, I think, but, I mean, do you blame him? The team, was, the team was struggling a little bit. They needed a spark. He didn't deliver it. Do you think he has the ability to turn around for the Seahawks, or, or, or are they doomed to, to kind of collapse the rest of the year?
1: Uh, yeah, I think they have no chance. I don't think they're making a playoff run this year. So I think Wilson should focus on being as healthy as possible before he comes back. I think they there's no way they should have rushed this. Their division's a little bit too tough right now, and there's too many teams that are starting to pop off. Um, I don't think Seattle is in that position currently. So I think they should maybe have scaled back a little bit before rushing him back.
0: I will say this, the thing about green Bay is they are finding ways to win games. They can win, you know, win games, a lot of different ways. They won it uh, with defense, obviously this week uh, with Seattle, they won it with some ball control offense against the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, You know, they made a lot of big plays when they played Washington earlier in the year. Uh, They made a lot of big plays when they beat San Francisco earlier in the year. So, so they can beat you a lot of different ways. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with how they can do it. Um, in terms of that, they're they're multidimensional. But I also watched the game, and I'm kind of like, eh, I mean, they're it's Rogers, so they're always a contender, but doesn't strike fear in anybody's hearts.
1: No, not at all. Uh, another we talked about it just a second ago, but uh, L.A. Chargers another setback against a Minnesota team who is uh, not necessarily great.
0: Yeah, the Chargers are, are, are tough because every game they play is close. And I think it's because they're a young team with some talent, but they're not as good as maybe we thought they were early in the year. They're basically put all on Herbert's back. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Andrew Luck with the Colts. You Remember that a few years ago yeah. where if Luck played well, they won. The Colts won. If Luck didn't play you know, really well, the Colts lost. And, and it always seemed to come down to did Luck make big plays in the fourth quarter to, to win the game or did he turn it over in the fourth quarter? You know, last week against Philly, Herbert made the big plays in the fourth quarter. The Chargers won the game. He didn't make it against Minnesota. The Chargers lost the game. Uh, I think I'm still impressed with Herbert. I like him to be a little more careful with the football. Uh, but I, I think the Chargers just really aren't as good as maybe they looked earlier in the year. Uh, what do you think? You think uh, you think this is more losses, as a sign of Herbert maybe not being as good? Or or is this a rosters thing for the, the Chargers?
1: Uh I like to think I like Herbert. Uh I think he's pretty talented. So I think he maybe is just having a slump right now, but I think it's more of like a roster thing. I think it's uh maybe you can get a little bit more firepower around him. Um But we'll just have to see how this development goes. I'd say they're definitely not like a contender this year in my eyes, but uh moving forward to next year is really gonna be their their big season to try to make all the upgrades necessary that they need to, to really, really be contender. And so we're just going to have to keep a close eye on them to see how they progress. Um, Another side say, of the, or
0: go ahead. Yeah, I will say this. If they sneak into the playoffs, I, I do not want to play Justin Herbert. Cause he's one of those guys that can make these ridiculous throws and somehow pull out a miracle win. So I, <laughs> I, I agree with you. They're probably a year away from top flight contending, but I still think they're a scary team potentially. Uh, yeah. down the road
1: uh, on the other side of the ball uh, a situation has arisen and this is kind of what I want to end this section on before we move to our next section uh, I know you want to talk about it a little bit uh, Dalvin Cook of the Minnesota Vikings uh, has hit some controversy in the media and you know there's two sides to every story and two sides have been released uh, Some a a woman I believe from the U.S. Air Force or the U.S. Army, I can't remember which one, uh, has accused Dalvin Cook of uh, domestic violence. But on the same vein, I think this is the story I actually saw first, was that Dalvin Cook has accused her of attacking him. I think it even goes so far to say like she maced him in the face and like beat him and a roommate up. Some crazy stuff coming out. But I think one thing that we are seeing here is there's almost no media coverage of any of this. I, I saw some obscure like articles on the internet and compared to the Gruden situation that has arisen, uh, there's a real disparity in the coverage. What are your thoughts
0: on that? Yeah. So, you know, backpedal up to remember the John Gruden emails first come out and what do we see? We see it on a lot on ESPN. You know, I think they had Monday night countdown, you know, where they had Rex Ryan and Randy Moss and, and, and they bring it up. And Randy Moss, grown man in his 40s, big, tough football player. These emails just shake him to his core. And he just starts crying. Like, like I, I don't understand. He's like so emotional and upset. And you've got the anchor says, oh, it's fine. Yeah, very, very emotional. Very, very, very hard. And, you know, I'm watching this and I'm like, okay, this is, a, you know, Gruden said something maybe inappropriate. Maybe it was mean. He was a jerk or crude or whatever you want to call it. But no one should read these emails and start crying. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe uh, Gruden's wife, when when she realizes Gruden's not making as much money, so she has to cut down on the the trips to Bloomingdale's or whatever for her for her clothes or some fancy dinners or nights out and stuff. But that's it. You know, Randy Moss, why are you so upset? ESP and all these guys all around this big 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 media complex. Why are you guys upset for that? It just seems bizarre. And then Dalvin Cook things happens again. It's all allegations. Right, so right now there's, you know, Cook has said that he was assaulted. Uh, this uh, this woman has said Cook assaulted her. We don't know. It's going to play out. However, it's going to play out in the courts and all that kind of deal. But the coverage from ESPN is 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 non-existent, like you said, and it blows my mind because the Gruden thing was literally mean things being said in an email a decade ago. The Cook thing is either an NFL player getting assaulted and maced or an NFL player assaulting somebody else. How is that not talked about? How is that not getting people to be emotional and upset? And it's just very, very frustrating to me. And I've got a, kind of a theory as to why it isn't, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts on it first.
1: First of all, I, uh, I think I would preface all of this. Uh, I think domestic violence is a very serious issue, and it should be dealt with accordingly. But I think the NFL is notorious, especially on this matter, for being very wishy-washy with how they deal with it. With Ray Rice, it was dealt with impunity. Uh, The hammer, at first, he told them exactly what happened. And the NFL said, hey, whatever. Forget about it. Maybe we find you. Whatever. Move on. Then a video is brought out. And it it is exactly what he said happened. But now that there's a video, he gets hammered, axed, and blackballed by the league. He's never to play again. Uh, Adrian Peterson, allegations of him uh, beating his kids pretty badly uh, with a stick, leaving large welts all over their legs. Nothing really came out of that. Actually, Adrian Peterson just got signed by another team. He's playing to this day. Uh, I think there's an uh, Arizona Cardinals player. I, I can't remember what his name was. I think it was like Rashad something. I, I can't exactly. I could be off on that one, though. There's Arizona Cardinals running back Uh, probably like 5, 10 years ago who domestic violence Uh, allegations came out against him, never played again. And so the whole, this whole, they're so back and forth on how they do things nowadays. It really just blows my mind.
0: Yeah. And I, I think what I look at is, you know, again, we look at what is pushed by, in this case, ESPN or, or, the, or the big sports media companies. And the Gruden narrative fits a certain narrative, right? It, it fits this 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 grumpy, crude, you know, you know coach, you know, he's, he's disrespecting with mean words and mean tweets, right? That's kind of what we see in culture these days where it's better. People want you to sound nice. People want you to sound good. You know, you go on you know, uh, a news site or you go on social media or you, you turn on the news, you turn on ESPN and it's all these people that they don't ever actually say anything insightful or important or, or valuable, but they sound good. They sound, they got the sound bite. They got that. Like we always joke, they got the fancy suits and the fancy sets and the hot takes. They sound good, but they don't actually do anything. That's kind of was a Gruden thing. That was the opposite. Gruden sounded bad. It, it was rough. We got to get that out of the game. We got to get that out of the game. Look at the, what the NFL has done with taunting. Taunting just sounds bad. Ugh, we don't want taunting in the game. Well, well, let's actually think about what taunting actually is. Let's look at the action, right? The Gruden thing. Well, let's look at the action. Well, there really isn't really action with Gruden. It was a mean thing, but now he's being crucified. We're seeing the same thing with the taunting penalties, you know, like Cassius Mars for Chicago, staring menacingly, you know, at the, at the sideline, the Pittsburgh sideline. You know, he didn't do anything, but it fit whatever uh, optic that the NFL wanted to penalize. I think it's the same thing with Cook. Right now because it's kind of been swept under the rug a little bit, the NFL isn't making a big stink because right now there is no bad optic. There is no bad visual, even though something was obviously done either to Cook or from Cook or, or however that works out. So I think right now, the, you know what is going on is because you know, ESPN and, and all these other networks are focused more on optics, the NFL is going to quietly let this ride. They're going to say, okay, we're going to see how this plays out legally. The same thing they did with Watson, right? Because the NF- ESPN and the media kind of stopped caring about it because there was no real uh, real bad you know, social media or anything visually to go with it right now.
1: Yeah, the there's NFL no picture, to- there's no video.
0: Exactly. And until that happens, the NFL is kind of hands off. And, and, and I think it's very, very interesting how, you know, we see that kind of work between the NFL and, the, and these and these media companies, uh, how the media companies are focused on more optics and the NFL is more than happy to ride along with it. Like you said, you know, there's no picture, there's no video, so it never happened. Exactly.
1: And it's sad, but it's the reality we live in. But, nonetheless, there is a better side of media, and that side is the magic of the and I think this has led us perfectly into our top five NFL players who have been in the movies or TV. It does. We're not really discriminating, just being an actor, our, our favorites, so to speak. Uh, Nick, and I always am the one who's to start this segment, but I'd like to switch it up. I'd like to give you uh, the, the start on this one.
0: Awesome! Thanks. So I'll get us right going into it. Number five for me is Ed O'Neill. This was the guy who was Little Giants. He was married with children. He was the dad. He was also the uh, the grandfather in one of my favorite shows, Modern Family. He actually kicked around a little bit in pro ball. Didn't play very long before he became an actor. I always thought he was pretty funny. Just a grumpy old guy. Kind of just kind of reminds me of just classic, you know, guy who grew up in the '60s and '70s. Funny guy, entertaining as heck. Always liked him. Uh, number four for me is Dick Butkiss. Uh, he did a lot of acting roles and a lot of cameos and stuff like that. Uh, his role was My Two Dads, was a sitcom. Look, that was before my time, but I had everybody under the sun tell me Dick Buckus was coolest, the coolest celebrity guy in the world back then. It's kind of weird to think how a middle linebacker with a with a thick mustache and 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 you know you know not really that fast or athletic, just kind of a, a bruiser, is the biggest celebrity. But then again, that kind of makes me think how football was played in the fifties and sixties too. So I guess it fits. So I'm going with uh, Dick Buttkiss at number four. Number three is a guy near and dear to my heart. And that's Michael Irvin for his appearance in the longest yard. Look, Michael Irvin kind of retired or he did retire before I became a huge fan getting into the game. Uh, He retired in the late 90s. Obviously, it was a Hall of Famer with Dallas. But I love watching the longest yard and watching him absolutely just run all through and all around. Uh, the guards in that movie making all these amazing catches i'm pretty sure that's exactly what it was like in the nfl uh, when he played so i'm just going to stick with that and i'm going to go michael irvin at number three uh number two for me is jim brown jim brown was the original greatest of all time he still might be tom Brady is giving him a little challenge right now running back for cleveland and the cleveland browns in the 50s and 60s legitimate legitimate first time uh all right, all world superstar uh, left the NFL early in his prime to become an actor, made a lot of successful movies in his career. My favorite one is any given Sunday. It was a uh, late nineties movie with Oliver Stone, Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx. Uh, Jim Brown was in it as a uh, Pacino was the head coach. Jim Brown was a defensive coordinator. i uh, the thing I love so much about Jim Brown in that movie was his uh, actor name, his, the role he played. The guy's name was Montezuma Monroe. I have no earthly idea what Hollywood writer thought that actually made sense, but people who made a lot of money made that decision. I kind of like it. I'm sticking with it. I'm going Jim Brown at number two. And number one for me is Carl Weathers, best known as the master of disaster, the king of sting, the undisputed heavyweight champion of the world, until Rocky, the Italian stallion Balboa, controversially defeated him at the end of Rocky II. I still think There was a couple late blows by Rocky at the end of that one. I'm probably the only guy rooting for Apollo Creed. I thought he should have won that fight. He definitely won the first one. And I'm telling you right now, if he would have fought Avin Drago in his prime, Apollo Creed's beaten him then. Drago got him late. That's the only reason he beat him. But I'm going Carl Weathers, number one, the guy who played Apollo Creed. And then my honorable mention, I'm going Terry Bradshaw here uh, for his role in failure to launch. You know, Terry Bradshaw played Matthew McConaughey's dad as kind of a wacky, older, out of weight, Uh, goofy uh, old man who's kind of just doing whatever he wants, not caring about social norms or or rules or etiquette or being nice or anything like that. So he's basically playing himself. So good on Terry Bradshaw for playing the same character he lives every day. He's my honorable mention, uh, NFL player turned actor.
1: I love the list. And Carl Weathers, man, he is so, I, I know he was like a decent NFL player. Like he actually maybe played just for a little bit, but he did. Rocky, he was Chubbs and Happy Gilmore, and he's even relevant today. Uh, he's the uh, bounty hunter guy in the Mandalorian, the popular Disney Plus series that is out uh, based on the Star Wars universe. He's still kicking to this day. You got to give him some props.
0: Yeah, he's, he's he's a great actor, great physical specimen. Uh, it was he was awesome in Rocky. He's just great, great guy. Big fan of his. Just awesome, awesome actor.
1: All right. Uh, Nick, there's there's a few names that I'm gonna need your help because you're the expert at pronouncing these uh, on okay. my list. I just know them. I didn't know uh, their their f- names as a football player. I knew them as actors before, but I kind of my list just kind of like yours. I picked movies that I liked and football players in those movies. So these might not necessarily be the best best actors, but they were in a movie that I liked and I liked them in that role. So first up is the first name I might need help with is uh, Alex Karras? Karras. Karras, yep, Detroit, Karras? yep. Uh, defensive end for the Detroit Lions from 1958 to 1970. Uh, he made the NFL's all-decade team in the 60s, uh, and his movie debut was very small role, but very memorable in the Western parody film, Blazing Saddles, one of my favorites, a real, real good uh, Mel Brooks film, uh, He plays the dumb, uh, strong, uh, bad guy in the movie, Mongo. And he rides into uh, town on this huge horse and gets off of his horse. He's going into the bar. And I can't exactly remember what the reason is, but the iconic scene is he punches another horse in the face and knocks it out and just like one punch and then walks into the bar. Uh, A pretty iconic scene. Uh, a a very funny movie, which he played a funny part in. But nonetheless, Alex Carris is my number five spot. Number four spot, I got this one. This one's easy. And we have another another tie in here. You go, Michael Irving. I go Bob Sapp. Uh, longest yard. Uh, offensive lineman for Chicago Bears and Minnesota Vikings. Only played for a year. Not very good. Uh, ninety seven, ninety eight. His main accomplishment, though come from his time being a professional kickboxer and MMA fighter, primarily in the pride league over in Japan. And he was a force. This guy is an actual silverback gorilla of a man. He would rip people apart and the way that he could use his legs and kick and do things in the fights that he did was absolutely incredible. But playing Switowski as an offensive line and, uh, the, the Longest Yard. He had some of the most memorable lines in that movie. The, oh, you broke my nose. Or, do I look like a, a young Michael? Like, he, he had some of the funniest lines. He was a funny character. And he really just, you know, he made he made a, a lasting impression on me in those movies. Uh, my number three is Mike Ditka. Probably the best football player and coach, nonetheless, on my list. Uh, legendary coach legendary player, won Super Bowls as both, Uh, probably some argue the greatest tight end as all time. Uh, He goes into the Hall of Fame in 88. I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the first ever tight end to make it into the Hall of Fame, Uh, but he goes into the acting world and he crushes it, and he was in the movie Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell. He's Will Ferrell's assistant coach in the movie. And he just does a really good job. It's a hilarious movie, and he plays a really big part in that movie. So, uh, Mike Ditka, my number three. Now, this is the name that I need your help with. My number two, Lyle Alazdo. Alzado. Alzado. Lyle Alzado. And I will explain why he would be in my two spot if I don't know his name. Defensive end for the Broncos, Browns, and Raiders. He played from... Uh, 1971 to 1980, Super Bowl champion, multiple All-Pro Pro Pro Bowl seasons. Alzado Alzado. uh, Alzado was a man who ESPN labeled as violent, combative player known for a short temper, and that is proven when a rule was created because Alzado threw his helmet at another player in the game, so they now have said that you cannot use your helmet as a weapon in the game, as we saw in last year, the Miles Garrett Mason Rudolph incident. That's uh, the first time I ever really saw it again. But uh, he then pursued a career in acting, being the physical specimen, angry guy, tough guy that he was. And he was in a movie that's near and dear to me in my childhood, the Ernest series, Ernest Goes to Camp. He's a bully construction worker in that movie. My dad Love the Ernest movies. Ernest Goes to Jail, Ernest Goes to Camp, all of those movies. And I watched it multiple times as a kid. It just had a lasting impression on me. I remember it fondly when I think of it. I don't think they were actually really very good movies. But for me, there's a special place in my heart. So Lyle Alzado is my number two spot. Now, movies that were good and had a lasting impression on me. My number one spot, Bubba Smith. Defensive end for the Baltimore Colts, the Raiders, and the Oilers from 67 to 76. He won an NFL championship as well as a Super Bowl. Multiple All-Pro, Pro Pro Bowl selections. Uh, Once he retired from football, Smith started acting. He did a bunch of small roles in the 70s and 80s. He's known mostly for his role as Moses Hightower in Police Academy. Uh, He was in all of the Police Academy movies except for one. His character in those movies is just so funny. Like when he flips over the car uh, in the scene where the riot breaks out on the first police academy and they all have to go in the town. Uh, Hightower is just one of my favorite all-time characters from any of the police academy movies. He's a great actor in all of those and God, he was just a great football player too. I, it just, it's, I, on my list I've noticed most of these guys are defensive ends that, or the, the players that I, I recognize. But uh, in my honorable mention spot, like you said, that people told you that Dick Buckkiss was a, a star and he was the coolest guy. And, you know, a little bit before your time. This guy is much before both of our times. But on the TV show that I work on, uh, my good friend Deacon Dawson, some people know him, freaking Deacon, Sweet Daddy, America's Ace of the Airways, old school radio hosts, told me, Andrew, you gotta put this guy on your list. So, Deacon, I put him on the list. Woody Strode. That is my honorable mention pick. Uh, he was an offensive end or tight end, as sometimes we know it. Also played a little bit of running back. Uh, Strode played for the Hollywood Bears, the LA Rams, and even I added this on there, he ended his career with the Canadian football Calgary Stampeders. It was a crazy time back then. Uh, he played from 1940 to 1949. He did win a Grey Cup with the Calgary Stampeders, so congrats to him, Uh, but Strode's first big movie that I really remember him from was Spartacus. Uh, He played an Ethiopian gladiator called Draba, and his role in the movie is he fights Spartacus in like the big gladiator fight uh, in the movie, Uh, and Spartacus is played by Kirk Douglas, and they're supposed to fight to the death. And Draba wins the fight, but instead of killing Spartacus, he turns on the Roman military commanders up in the box that uh, who paid for all these fights to happen and goes and like charges at them and once he charges them, he gets killed eventually and this sparks like the whole movie the Gladiator Rebellion is over his death uh, and he's also in a ton of other movies all throughout the late eighties, early nineties, he had like a, a revival of his career then. But big actor, good football player, absolute legend of the cinema. So that is why I have him on my list in my honorable mention spot. And that's my list. That's what I got.
0: That's that's pretty good. I just wanted to let you know. Uh, the moment you referenced Blazing Saddles, my phone blew up from the FCC, just saying, don't you do it. Don't you quote that movie. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, flag you and censor you so much. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. They're, they're, uh, they must be watching us or something because, you know, any reference to Blazing Saddles, which is an absolutely hilarious movie, would not be made again today with uh, the way the world is today. Yeah, you but can't awesome say some movie. of the stuff that was said in the movie, but at the time... I don't, think if- you can, I don't think you can say anything that was said in the movie. I mean, could you pick one line of dialogue and... <laughs> and, and say it today I, no, I kind of got it
1: and I didn't that's why I just said he punched a horse so um, <laughs> yeah um, n- no but it's a great western parody it is a parody none of those things are like t- t- to be taken seriously but uh, you know hey, what do you got but uh
0: Mick uh, I think that's it that's the show for today well, um, real, real quick, so we got, obviously, before our, before our Saturday episode, Thursday Night Football is going to air. So we've got Falcons-Patriots. Uh, Patriots coming off a big win. Falcons coming off a huge loss. Who do you have in that one? Patriots. Patriots, no doubt. Belichick wins another one. Matt Jones continues to look good.
1: Yeah, the Falcons just don't have the juice. No, no Patriots not at look
0: all. too all. Patriots look good. Belichick is picking up steam. He may win Coach of the Year, him or Vrabel.
1: Yeah, but, you know, I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, nonetheless, Nick, great show today. Uh, we had an episode that released earlier this week. That's a great one as well. A lot of good stuff coming down the pipe from us here at Saturday Morning
0: Inspection. Uh, Nick, you have any final words? Yeah, thanks again for everyone. Stick around to, to listen to us or watch us, whether you're watching us on YouTube or listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We really appreciate you guys. You guys are the lifeblood of our show. Um, any feedback you can give us, please comment, please like, please subscribe, send us a message, uh, tweet at us or message us on Facebook. We're at SMI Football Show on Twitter and, and the same SMI Football Show on Facebook. You can also find us on our website, smishow.com. You guys are awesome. We love our viewers. We love the support we get from you guys. We're making great content for you. Like, like we say a million times, we're not big sports media. We don't have you know, the, the big backing and the big, uh, big budgets and the big suits and all of that We just got to work our tails off, making a great show for you guys. Um, As always, I'm Nick Rudman. The man with the infallible hair is Andrew Mize. and, uh, And that's our show today. See you next week.